Today is Mother's Day, as you know, and Mother's Day is uh, a wonderful day, but I'm always keenly aware that there are people who will be walking among us today who want to have a child, and at this point, they have not been able to have a child, and it's a difficult day. There are people walking among us today, uh, several, who in this past year have buried a mother. There are people walking among us today, several who have buried a child this past year. It was a horrible thought. Uh, so, so this day can be very, very painful. We need to be prayerful and loving towards those who are in a difficult place. So I, I want just to pray now and ask the Lord. Now, Lord, we, we're told in the scripture to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we rejoice in these lives. We rejoice in new life. We rejoice in people getting ready to have a baby, people who are just getting ready to get married, all these significant places. But we also want to be aware that there are people among us who are just hurting. And they're hurting because they've lost a loved one. They're hurting because today at lunch there will be an empty place either where a child should be sitting or a mom should be sitting or a sister should be sitting. And it's a difficult day. So meet us, shepherding Christ, at our place of need and guide us, I pray. And show us yourself. Uh, go before your sheep and call them by name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm dealing with the theme of helping broken people to treasure Jesus. Talking about broken people. Broken people is who we are. None of us are perfect. We all deal with sin. We all deal with failure. We all deal with disappointment. We all deal with fractured relationships. So we want to help each other to treasure Jesus. The passage today will be out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And I want to start in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll begin in verse 5. Hear the scripture. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses us as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to which those who have been trained by it. So, so in this passage, the writer says, if you're left without discipline in which we've all participated, then you're an illegitimate 
children and you're not sons. So, so this passage says there's the following reasons that we should invite and long for and be submissive and be responsive to God's discipline in our life. Abba, Father's discipline. Number one, the overriding theme is God is good and he is for us. He's our Abba Father, our dear Father. Number two, as we walk in the way of the Lord and we respond to his correction or we respond to the difficulties of life, we experience true life. It says we should submit to these things and live. Thirdly, as we understand these things, we are called to share in his holiness. As God disciplines us, we share in his holiness. Uh, we become like Christ. And fourthly, as we go through discipline, that at times, he says, it's very painful. We will yield the fruit of a righteous life. It's such a good thing. God disciplines us, Abba Father, as his children. Six times in these verses, he uses the word child or children. So if I were in a large department store, a Walmart, a, a, a whatever, and I'm with my daughter, let's say, or my daughter-in-law out in California. And one of the other parent couldn't make it, so I'm kind of there as granddad duty with one of the three kids, three, both three on each coast. And, 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 and let's say a three-year-old uh, sees something that he or she wants, and the parent says, no, no, we're not going to get that. And they pitch a fit. Um, I am the granddad. I'm, I'm not the primary disciplinarian. So I would look at them and I would say, do you want me to take them outside? Because they're very loud. And if they said yes, I would take them outside. And I am Papa. I don't spank unless it's extensively necessary. I, I, that's what moms and dads do. But I can put them in time out. And I can lecture them. So I'd take them outside and I'd put them on a bench and I'd say, listen, you're acting like the other side of the family right now. You're not acting like a brown, which you're self-possessed, disciplined, delayed gratification, just to do the right thing. I said, you know, and they'd probably repent on the spot to say I'm, I've been wrong. If I'm walking the same department store, walking by somebody I don't know, and the child is pitching a fit. And I reach over and very graciously take them out of the shopping cart and go outside and start lecturing them. What happens to me? You get arrested. You get arrested. Because that's not my child or grandchild. See, the, the good thing about this passage is the Bible says that if you are a child of God, Abba Father is so committed to your welfare that he's not just leaving you alone. He's not just in heaven saying, well, I guess I'll see how this works out. Let's see how they handle this situation. He says, no, he's involved in our lives. The Bible says, Jesus says, not a hair can fall from our head without the Father's knowledge. All things work together for our good, the Bible says. So, so we have an Abba Father who by the power of the Holy Spirit to the honor of the name of Jesus works in our lives and he disciplines us. So I'm going I'm to give you four statements from this passage. And it is... Uh, it's a very thought-provoking passage. Fourth statements about why we're broken and how we respond to the discipline of Abba Father. Number one, we realize that, that the Father is for us. And he always disciplines us for our good. And let me say, the Father, if you're a believer, the Father never punishes you. 
He disciplines you with love and tenderness. The punishment that we deserve has been consumed on the cross by Christ, our substitute. So he, he, he disciplines, but doesn't punish. He always loves and cares. So he's always a force. John 15, there's a word only one time this word is used in the whole New Testament. Jesus says this, I am the, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See? And, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So first, one time the, that word is used in the Bible. He prunes, which means he cuts back, he cleans so that it can be more fruitful. And so the, the father's looking at us today saying, I, I want to work in their lives. And I'm, they're going to be in difficult places and difficult situations. Or I'm, I'm going to correct them because I want them to be a fruit-bearing disciple. And I love them. See, let me, a couple passages that says, just screams, God is for us. Romans chapter 8. He's just, Paul's just talked about the glory of our salvation, how God has worked in eternity past and loves us in the present. And he says this. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Just an incredible statement. And then he says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? He says, well, it is God who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? He says, Christ is the one who died and more than that was raised and who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. So if, if God is for us, who can be against us? In Matthew 7, this is an amazing passage, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if, he looks at these wonderful parents. There's some wonderful parents here today. And Jesus says, if you then parents, if you then, though you are evil parents, <laughs> every parent here has a mixed bag and their compulsions and their desire. None of us are totally pure. He says, if you then, though you're evil parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to his children who ask him? Said, you parents know how to give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father do the very same thing? Except he'll do it many times over. And he'll do it in such a way that it is always a blessing. There's never a time when you get up on Christmas morning and you're ready for a train and you get bird books. God doesn't do that. And then, then Zephaniah chapter 3, this is in the Old Testament. Zephaniah wrote this before he understood the glory of Messiah tabernacling in the flesh. He knew it dimly, but he didn't see it like we see it in technicolor. Verse 17 says this. The Lord your God is, with, is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Not just singing. He doesn't just hum. Loud singing. Loud singing. So God is gloriously for us. Here's a quote from one of my favorite books. Favorite, yeah, it says this. It says, central to repentance is my recognition that I am God's 
own child, and he has a perfect plan for my life. Everything that happens to me is part of that plan. I am not talking Pollyanna stuff. Evil is evil. But seen from the point of view of faith, every experience deepens my knowledge of my need and weakness of God's capacity to help me. How do you walk in brokenness? You realize how desperately you need David Grace. He goes on and says, so, so I need to see that my rotten motives are really rotten. Grace is not cheap. It deals with really rotten people as well as we all are. But grace is also the power of God for cleansing the poison out of the fountain so that the streams of life can run clean. Boy, I like that. Grace is the power of God for cleansing the poison out of the fountains so that the streams of life can run clean. God is for us. He loves us. He's Abba Father. Number two, this passage says there are two wrong responses to God's discipline. He says, my son, do not regard lightly. That's the first wrong response. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Second wrong response, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now look at the two responses. So the, the first response is you, 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 you take it lightly. You say, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe unsettled or I'm going through a hard time, but it's not my fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm just fine. And see, when you hit a hard time, and we do, we all hit hard times. And when you're in a difficult place, the biblical response is to go to 1 Peter 5 and it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The biblical response is to go to James chapter 4 where James says, submit yourselves to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When he says this, verse 9, chapter 4, be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So what he's saying here is, is, is don't have a supercilious, contentless laugh that says, oh, life is nothing but a joke, and this is no big deal. Ha, 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 big deal. He says, no, 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 when, you, when you're being disciplined of the Lord, when you're hitting the hard time, when your life has just come to an abrupt end and you've hit the cul-de-sac of life, he says, what you need to do is you need to change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom and say, God, I am before you now. You exalt those who humble themselves. I'm going to humble myself before you. The biblical response is to go to Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, he says when you deal with people, he says, he says first get the, 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 the plank out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother get the speck of sawdust out of his eye. See, the, the, the biblical response is you humble yourself before the Lord. The other response is people say, I'm, I'm, I'm weary of this. I can't handle it. This is, a, this is way too much for me. This is, you, you, I, I, this is untenable. This is unbearable. 
And there are people, quite frankly, that I love and admire, and I've thought many times, if I were them, that's what I would say. It's just a hard, hard, life is hard. And that's why you go to the passage I preached last week where Paul says, I had a thorn in the flesh. He said, a messenger of Satan. And he says, three times I pleaded, pleaded, not just said, hey, God, can you do this? He said, Father, I plead with you. I lay myself before you. I, 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 I lament and I fast. God, please take this from me. We don't know what it was. And the Lord said, no, Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power will be made perfect in your weakness. God has called many people here to hard task. And sometimes you just want to say, I can't do it. Hard task. You see, broken people sing songs. Broken people looking at Jesus sing songs like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Broken people sing songs like, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to you. I need you every hour. Broken people sing the old hymn that was written in the 1880s. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will while I am waiting, yielded, and still. Another stanza goes, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Rule over my spirit, spirit with your perfect sway. Power, all power, only is thine. Mold me and make me Savior divine. Please come. Unbroken people also sing. One song they sing is, uh, is, is Frank Sinatra's signature song. I, I did it my way. I did it my way. I'm in control. I will bow my head to no one. Just YouTube that. Every time Sinatra was seeing that, people give him a standing ovation. I thought, do you realize what you guys are clapping about? You're clapping over heresy. You're clapping over making a mockery of a God who rules and reigns. And I've told you before, they will play my way on an endless tape in hell. Because that's what people in hell sing. I did it my way. God is equipping Many people here, all people here, but he's calling many people here to very difficult tasks. This is Mother's Day. There, there are going to be mothers here today who are in marriages that are very, very difficult. Husbands could care less. And they've been there for years. There will be mothers here today who have loved children, and these children have walked away from them and don't even communicate with them. I know some of them. I mean, better parents than I will ever be. And the kids are going, don't call me. That's hard. But God calls us to hard things. Years ago, there was a woman in our church who died a few years ago named Eleanor Mann. She was a counselor at the College of Charleston. And I was talking to her about a very difficult thing I was going through with a relationship where people, a person wasn't responding. And she told me this, I've never forgotten it, and I've I've used it a hundred times. She said that some relationships are like going into a a Walmart. 
and there's a, you're, it's thirsty, it's August, and you're dying of thirst. And there's a, there's a soda machine there. We say soda, right, in the south. Is it soda? Or do we say pop? Which is, what do we say? Pop is north. Okay, so we, there's a soda machine there. And, and it says, you know, get a diet drink, whatever, get a cold drink for August. Four, four dollars. You, you pull out, you got four quarters, and you go boom, 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 boom. You stand there and you hit the button and you wait. Nothing happens. <laughs> so you go in the other pocket, you got, you got four quarters. Well, I'm going to do it again. First of all, you look around, if nobody's looking, you start beating the machine, you know, shake it, you know. And so you boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Nothing. Now you're just getting frustrated. And so you. You ask a stranger, do you have four quarters I can borrow? And he says, yes. You know, so I, I, I just laugh. People buy a dollar drink with their credit card. Just amazing to me. It's just wild to me. So boom, 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 nothing. And she told me, she said, there are some relationships where you can drop quarters in all day long. You're never going to get a drink. There's some people here who are in a relationship with a child, maybe a spouse, a sibling, and, and you give and you give and you call and you care and you do and you do and you get nothing. God's called you to do that. I've talked to numerous adult children whose parents are just vile. Our parents just, maybe they struggle with alcohol and they come to get drunk and they start cussing and carrying on. And they say, what do we do? I said, Honor your father and your mother is binding until you die. Now, you don't open your home up to somebody who's going to curse and carry on from your kids. No, but you still care for them. And God, God calls us to do, listen, to do difficult things. Number three, I look at this passage, and I, I just come away with this conclusion. If I'm not being corrected by the father, I'm not a child. See? If I'm not being corrected, I, it says, if you... If you are left without discipline, verse 8, in which we have all, all participated. See, all of us are participating in the discipline of the Father. We are. Then, then, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. See, one of the marquee verses that you memorized when you first memorized Scripture is 2 Timothy 3.16. that says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine... Reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And, you know, when you study the passage, you know, doctrine, absolutely, knowing true thoughts about God, knowing God's word. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness, they're all synonyms. They're all synonyms. They mean different things with different variations. But, but really, what, what Paul is saying as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, this, so Timothy, is this, this, this scripture is good for doctrine, but also corrects and reproves and corrects and reproves and straightens you out and puts you on the right path and shows you where to walk. Boom, 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 boom. And, and, and so when you come to faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, dear Father. The Holy Spirit teaches you that you are adopted into the family. It's glorious. Adopted as sons, undeserving. Oh, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit opens the Word of God for understanding. We say, yes. The Holy Spirit exalts the name of Jesus. It shows us the beauty and glory of Christ as we treasure Him and the Holy Spirit 
convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if I'm not being dealt with by the Lord, taught, corrected, put in hard situations where I've got to exercise faith, I'm not a son. So this happens frequently, somewhat frequently. I'll get a call about somebody that is not in our church because if it's in our church, we go through the issue of steps of church discipline, but somebody that has been going to our church off and on and he or she has left the family and taken up with somebody else. And a few years ago, I heard about a guy that had been in and out of church and just a sweet couple and he went to live with another woman, destroyed his wife, a wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, then he took up with somebody else. And I hadn't seen him in five, six, seven years. Ran into him recently. And, you know, I first didn't recognize him. But as I recognized him, I said, well, well you asked the ubiquitous statement, you know, how are you doing And he said, man, I'm doing, I'm doing great. Business is good. Kids have grown up. They're doing this or doing that. And I'm doing great. And I, I was, we were in a public place. So I didn't have time to really drill down. But I, I left thinking about that and I think about this passage. And I, I just thought, you know, if, if, if he is, claims to be a believer in Jesus, if he is doing, listen to me, if he is doing great, then either he is a ball-faced liar or he's not a believer. Two, two options. Either he's a liar or he's not a child of God because a child of God will not be left to go on in unrepentant, unremorseful sin because the Holy Spirit of God deals with us. The Holy Spirit I mean, you, 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 you just, you, that, that's what it is. So, so if someone says, I'm a believer, but I'm, on, I'm in ongoing, unrepentant sin, whatever it might be, but I'm just fine with Jesus. I'm going, boy, either you're just lying or you're not a child of God. Because God, by the Holy Spirit, will not let you off the hook. Now, do Christians fall into sin? Yes. They don't stay there. And when they fall into sin, they're not happy. They're miserable been there. Yeah. A couple of verses. 1 John 2. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for they, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Now, how do you know somebody's a believer? They'll continue in the things of the Lord. 1 John 3 verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. I mean, we all sin, we all struggle with sin, but we don't stay there. We don't make a practice of staying in sin in an unrepentant fashion because we have God's seed in us by the Holy Spirit. So listen, if you say, hey man, I'm in sin, it's no big deal, and I'm doing just fine, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. Or you're a liar. 
So the Friday man, the man I covered this verse in First Peter chapter three, and and uh, this one little verse, and Peter just lays it on the men. It's been six verses talking about what the women are supposed to do, and then one verse he says, "Men likewise, husbands," he says, "live with your wives." In an understanding way, a biblically understanding way. You love her like Christ loves the church. Biblically understanding way. Showing honor or respect to the woman as the physically weaker vessel. Don't, don't use your strength to browbeat your wife or manipulate her. But to protect. You take the bullet. You do the heavy lifting. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They're fellow believers, so we respond. And this is this. So that your prayers will not be hindered. And your is second person plural. So the prayers of the husband and the wife won't be hindered. Let me, and I told the guys, when I said this on Friday morning, I, I got a lot of men doing this. I said, you know what, I am at odds with my wife. And I'm at odds with her, because I'm a sinner at times. When we're not jihawing and doing well, I don't worship well. I don't want to pray because it's just not right. Because you know what? Because the Holy Spirit is saying, get it together. You treat her with respect. You protect her dignity. She's a follower of Jesus. You're not going to be a prayer person. You're not going to worship well till you get it together. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, I'm so thankful God just didn't let us run around in our own stupidity all the time. It's good. There's a book. Uh, in fact, I just saw it in our library. It's out of print. We can get it in our library. It's, it's called Marriage to a Difficult Man. Show the dust, the dust cover if you can. Yeah. Marriage to a Difficult Man, The Uncommon Union of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. It's an easy little read. But I thought any wife here could write that book. Just borrow the title, Marriage to a Difficult Man. And it's just difficult because Jonathan Edwards was a scholar beyond imagination. He used to say he studied 16 hours a day. I can't believe he did that, but that's what he said. They had 10 children. Sarah was there. They got kicked out of their church after 23 years. It was hard, it was hard but they had a wonderful marriage. Fourthly. The Father, listen, the Father can be trusted. Once again, He doesn't punish us. He disciplines us like a, the best dad you could ever imagine. And then there's three things here. He says, says you, you, we, 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 we submit to His leadership when we listen to Him, we do it. He says, so that, He says, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Question mark. So the... And then he says, so that you, you also submit to him because you share in his holiness. You become like Jesus. Amazing. And as God works in your life and pushes you and prods you and corrects you, then, then you, you reap the fruit of a righteous life. Well, first of all, you live. So there's two ways to interpret th th that statement. He says, shall we not much more submit to the Father of spirits and live? Question mark. Either it means to experience life in its fullness with joy and spontaneity and hope. That's one way to interpret it. Another way to interpret it is that so you can live and continue to breathe on planet Earth. Let me tell you why some people look at the second inter 
Christ. It can go either way. There's a little passage in 1 Corinthians 11, the early church, 60 AD. They had a common meal that included the Lord's Supper. And Paul says some people are coming to the common meal and they're eating all the food and they're drinking all the wine and then they're leaving lightheartedly saying there's nothing left for anyone else to eat. And Paul says this. He says that's why some of them have died prematurely. They're dead. Now I'm not here to bring down the anger of God. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we live a little differently because we walk before God. I, I love Pilgrim's Progress. We're a pilgrim and faithful go to Vanity Fair. And they're, they're, it's just a worldly place. And they have no concept of God, no honoring God. And they say, you're not buying our stuff. You're not talking like us. You're not dressing like us. You're not walking in lockstep with us. What's with you guys? And Pilgrim fixed his gaze upon them and said, sir, we deal with God. Early on Hebrews Chapter 4 says, you know, um, says, be, be, live your life because you never escape the gaze of your father. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. So, so we, we just, so, so we, we, we follow the discipline of God. We respond to that so that we can live. Secondly, so we can be like Jesus. And then and thirdly, it says that as, as you do this, you understand that you are participating in a discipline. He says, discipline is not, is not fun. It's not fun. But it yields the fruit of righteousness. Man, it's good. But there's some people here right now that are in a hard place. It's a hard place. And... and Really nothing you've done. You just it's a hard place, a, a relationship, something. And and you can either become bitter and uncaring, or you can say, Lord, you're the potter. I'm clay. Teach me through this. This is hard. Teach me. That's life. And that discipline is not pleasant, but it will yield wonderful fruit. If you play sports, play basketball. So you play basketball and the coach has they, what they call suicide drills. You just run from half court to full court to half court to mid court to half court to quarter court back and back and back and back and back and back and back. And it, at, at, the, at the end of every practice, that's what we did. And it was just painful. It was painful. And the coach said, man, we're going to do it again. Because this Tuesday night in the fourth quarter, when those guys are bending over holding their knees, you're going to be going for it. And so you Suck it up, or you play football, and the coach does 40-yard dashes, and, and then what we call crab walks, and, and, you, and you do it, and you do it and literally till somebody is sick on the sidelines. And the coach says, you know what, guys? When we play in a couple of weeks, in the fourth quarter, you're going to be going strong when they're not. That's what coaches do. That's what God says to us. It's not always pleasant, but it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life. And earlier in the passage, he says, and in all things, consider Jesus. I just love the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 7, the theme of Hebrews is, Behold the wonder of Jesus, who once and for all gave his life for our sins. One sacrifice. And he says, in the last three verses of chapter 7, I'm closing with this. He says, uh, so it, it is fitting it's fitting 
that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like the Old Testament priest, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he's done this once and for all on the cross with his blood. For the law appoints men who are weak. All men are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, the promise of Jesus, fulfilled. The word of the oath that came after the law appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. And he starts chapter 8 with this statement. And I love this. He says, now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. His name is Jesus, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He reigns and he rules and he watches over us and he brings things into our life to, to, to shape us and fashion us as our Savior and King. Broken people sing, have your own way, Lord, have your own way. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I trust you. Mold me and make me after your will while I'm waiting. Lord, I'm yielded and still. The Father is asking many people here right now to do something very hard. Something that's beyond you. Something you can only do because you're abiding in Jesus. It may be, once again, trying to engage a parent who's abandoned you. It may be continually going to a child that's pushed you aside and expressing your love. It may be going to a sibling who mocks your faith. A relationship in the office where that person's sandpaper on your spirit. But God equips us to do hard things. What's the hard thing he's asking you to do? Child of God. Child of God, if you're walking in a place in your life now where there's obvious known sin and you're unwilling to repent, plead for mercy. Plead for mercy. Get help. Get help because God disciplines his children. If you have no discipline and you don't respond, the Bible says you're an illegitimate child. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today's, uh, this passage. And, and we just celebrate the fact that you are Abba, Father, and you're good. You're good. We celebrate the fact that if, as we respond to your discipline, your chastisement, the hard places, the hard things, brokenness over sin, you say that we will live we will share in the holiness, which is sharing in the life of Christ, and we will eventually reap the fruit of a righteous life that speaks of Jesus. So God, do that in us, I pray. I pray for people here today that are in hard places, I mean really hard places, that you would give them the energy and the Christ-centeredness to do the hard thing. So we praise you for this day, in Jesus' name. Amen.